1 Samuel chapter 20. Let us hear the living word of the living God. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field, and Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm? The Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, 
and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man saying, go, find the arrows. If I say to the young man, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Well, let's turn back to 1 Samuel 20 and pick up our reading at verse 24. Let us once again hear God's word. 1 Samuel 20, verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall, Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send, bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? 
And Jonathan called after the boy, Harry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Amen. May God bless to us his word. Well, so far in the life of David, we have seen him as the youngest of seven brothers, taken from the obscurity of life as a shepherd, and as the man after God's own heart, anointed to be king over Israel. And we have seen this young man as the representative of his people, defeat the enemy of God's people, Goliath. And we have seen him go on to become the great military captain of Israel. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David has won the love of the people. He is the theme of their song. And as we saw last time, he's also won the covenant fellowship and love of the king's son, Jonathan. And he has won the love of the king's daughter, Michal, who is now his wife. From all this, it might seem as if David is going to ease into the role that God has called him to, to be king of God's people. But as it is for us, so it's also going to be for David. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And further, David is to be a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so David is going to have to undergo humiliation before his exaltation to kingship. David's life had to have a Christ-shaped pattern, just like our lives have to. And the trouble, the tribulation has actually been building in David's life. Chapter 18 saw Saul trying to kill David, and it closed with the ominous words, so Saul was David's enemy continually. And that enmity deepened in chapter 19. Saul again tried to kill David with a spear. Then he had David's house watched overnight with the intent that when David left in the morning, he would be taken and killed. So David had to flee from his own home in the depths of the night to to save himself. And he ended up running away to Naoth and Ramah to be with the prophet Samuel. Saul was so intent on killing David that he tracks him down. And it's only God's miraculous intervention that spares David's life 
in Ramah. And chapter 20 begins and opens with David having had to run away from Ramah. He is on the run. The king is hunting him. His life is in great danger. The context then for this chapter is the conflict in David's life between promise and providence. David here is wrestling to hold on to God's promise to him that he would be king and how well it initially all seemed to be going and the fact that now in his life everything is beginning to seem so contrary to that promise God has given him. Instead of being crowned king, he's on the run for his life. How can this be? And David has got to respond to that situation, that turmoil that he is in. And ultimately, as we look through the passage, we'll see that the response to the trial and the turmoil in David's life is to turn to the security of covenant promise. And we'll see that as we work our way through chapter 20 under four headings. We'll first of all see covenant pleading in verses 1 to 8. We'll see covenant pledging in verses 9 to 17. We'll see covenant cost in verses 18 to 34. And finally, we'll see covenant peace in verses 35 to 42. The theme running through this chapter is covenant. Covenant pleading, covenant pledging, covenant cost, and covenant peace. First then, covenant pleading, the first eight verses. And we meet David at the start of this chapter as a man who has been worn down by his experience. The man who was unafraid to face down Goliath is almost broken by what he is going through. He's been hounded out of his marital home. He's being pursued and chased by the king. He's a man who feels at the end of his endurance. No longer is David striding out to meet his enemies. We see a man who is haunted by the ever-present risk of death. And that's a great reminder, and for me, a very encouraging reminder, that the heroes of the faith don't just sail through life unaffected by what is going on around them. The great men and women who are the heroes of the faith have like passions as we are. They have their times of trial and heartache and doubt, just as we do. And David here goes to express that heartache to the one man he feels he can run to and trust, his best earthly friend, Jonathan. And again, friendship in time of distress is is a blessing almost beyond words, to, to have someone we can unburden ourselves to. But for David and Jonathan, it's not simple friendship. This is a covenant friendship. If we go back to 1 Samuel 18.3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And so David here is running to the one man who is his best friend, but also the one man he can trust because there is a covenant that binds them together. And having run to Jonathan, David 
pours out the situation he finds himself in. Verse 1, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And that's a theme that will reoccur through 1 Samuel, David protesting his innocence. I just don't understand why Saul is trying to kill me. I've been nothing but loyal to him. And this injustice of the situation he finds himself in is one of the causes of David's distress. I, I genuinely don't deserve to be treated the way I am. I haven't done anything to give Saul reason to mistrust me. David could write of an experience like this in Psalm 69, when he writes of those who hated me without a cause. And we all know, I think, what it is to suffer justly for something that we have done wrong, but to suffer for doing good adds another layer of distress. Jonathan himself, verse 2, can't believe what is happening. The last Jonathan seems to know of what's been going on is at the start of chapter 19, where we read, Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And that, in Jonathan's mind, is where things have been left. But since then, Saul has tried to kill David three times, And so David says to Jonathan, Saul knows we are friends, you and I. And so he's hiding the attempt he's making on my life from you. But know, Jonathan, that it is true, verse 3, there is but a step between me and death. And when David assures Jonathan of that, that is an end to the discussion. He believes his covenant friend. And knowing that David's life is in danger, Jonathan says, what can I do to help? And David gives this plan to Jonathan. We have that in verses 5 to 7. And David says, it's a new moon tomorrow. I'm expected to feast with King Saul. But instead, I'm going to hide nearby. And Jonathan, if I missed from the feast, tell your father that I've been asked back to Bethlehem to feast with my brothers at the yearly sacrifice. And Jonathan, as his plan unfolds, if Saul hears that and is angry, we will both know that he's still going to pursue my life. But if Saul is relaxed that he thinks I've gone back to Bethlehem, all is well. And how are we to understand David's plan that he gives to Jonathan? Well, it has a lot of merit in one sense. You know, if David has gone back to his home country, then it will expose Saul's heart. Saul might think, yes, David is going back to his homeland to to build up a faction to rival me and to come and try and take over the kingdom. But if Saul's relaxed about that, then he's not concerned about me. There's a wisdom to what David is suggesting here. It will draw out the heart of Saul. But David's plan while it might be wise and have merit, I don't think is scriptural wisdom. There's a deception here in what David is suggesting that seems to reveal that the fear he is feeling has taken over his heart. 
He's not trusting so much in God to keep him, but in his own ways of trying to find out his own status. And perplexing providences and hard times can can lead us to trust sometimes in ourselves and in our own thoughts more than in the living God. But while David's plan here has its flaws, the heart of what David is seeking from Jonathan is good. And we see that in verse 8. Because David says, deal kindly with your servant. And what David is doing is he's beginning to turn to covenant promises. He's pleading covenant promise. He's saying to Jonathan, deal kindly, show me hesed, a word so often tied to covenant love, that covenant love of God for Israel. And David's really crying out, yes, I have a plan. But ultimately, my only hope is in the covenant kindness you have pledged to me, Jonathan, in covenant. My only hope in my distress is, Jonathan, for you to show me covenant love. And then David gets explicit. He says, you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Jonathan, there are covenant promises involved here. Covenant obligations before God. You brought me into covenant. Be faithful to your promises, to your pledges, to your oaths. And Jonathan, if I have been unfaithful, if I have sinned against the king, deal with me, kill me yourself. And what David is doing here is ultimately, in his perplexity and grief, turning to covenant security, the covenant of the Lord he made with Jonathan. And David is right to do that. Because when everything else is insecure, the one thing that is always secure is covenant promise. So here in his perplexity, David pleads the covenant and its promise. And in that, David and Jonathan point beyond themselves. Because where is our security? It is only in the covenant of the Lord. When we have a conflict as to how our life is going, what is our only plea? The hesed, the covenant love of the living God. And we can turn, yes, to our best friend, who is pledged in covenant to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we are overwhelmed, run to Jesus and burden yourself before him and plead his covenant. So that's covenant pleading. Then in verses 9 to 17, we have covenant pledging. Now David has pled the covenant and if Jonathan is really to respond to David to unfold to him how he will be faithful to their covenant he needs somewhere more private so after a brief exchange David and Jonathan head out of the city into the fields and what's interesting is that from verse 11 onwards in this chapter David 
is really silent. As covenant faithfulness is worked out, all the initiative from verse 11 onwards is Jonathan's. David's words aren't recorded again in this chapter. And that's to highlight to us that David now becomes passive. He is entirely dependent on covenant for his security. And Jonathan does not disappoint in how he is going to fulfill his covenant love. In fact, he exceeds anything that you could possibly imagine. First, Jonathan says, I will be faithful to my covenant, David. Verses 12 and 13, I will do as you have asked. I will find out my father's mind, and if he is favorable or unfavorable, I will tell you. And so far, that's pretty much as we would expect. Jonathan will fulfill the bargain David has proposed. He will honor the covenant. But then, at the end of verse 13, things go a notch higher into the realm of the unexpected. Because Jonathan, who is a weak, fearful David before him, reassures David that he is going to be king. And he ends up actually asking David to pledge covenant security to Jonathan. At the end of verse 13, Jonathan blesses David. He prays blessing upon David. May the Lord be with you as he was with my father. In other words, Jonathan is saying to weak, fearful, perplexed David, God has left Saul and God is with you. And may God truly be with you. As we saw before, every ounce of humanity in Jonathan should have hated this. He was destined to be king. He was the heir of Saul. The kingdom was his. But yet here he is praying the kingdom blessings to be on David. Assuring weak David before him that he will be king. But there's more. Jonathan knows that in being covenantally faithful to David, it may cost him his own life. But regardless of any cost to Jonathan, he knows David will become king. And so he asks remarkably for David to pledge covenant faithfulness to Jonathan. What does he say, verse 14? If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And here, here is David. He's had to leave his wife. He's had to flee for his life. He's without anything in this world. And yet Jonathan is saying to him, it's not your life, David, ultimately, that is at risk here. It's my life. If I live, your triumph as King David is certain. The uncertainty here is me. <clears throat> if I live to say, to see your triumph, David, show me covenant love. And if I don't survive, because my life is nothing, verse 15, show your covenant love, David, to my family. Covenant love, of course, we'll see that David fulfills in his dealings with Mephibosheth later in his life. And what's incredible here is just the faith that Jonathan has in God's promise to 
to David. The complete disregard of any personal cost to himself. And what we see in Jonathan here is covenant faithfulness in all of its fullness. There's nothing that would lead Jonathan to believe that David would one day be king. In fact, David himself is completely overwhelmed by his situation. And yet by faith, Jonathan holds on to God's promise and sees that the weak, frail man before him is God's anointed and Jonathan will risk all for him. And Jonathan goes on to assure David that God will see his triumph. Verse 15, David, think of this. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And and again, as Jonathan is actually ministering the pastoral promises of the covenant to David to encourage him and to lift him out of his despondency and his grief, the statement is almost unbelievable. David's about to be on the run for his life. David is a man who is alone and broken. But Jonathan is sure in God's promise. This lonely, broken man before him will one day see all his enemies crushed. And you know, David needed his eyes lifted up to the sureness of God's promises. David needed his eyes lifted up from his circumstances to his ultimate destination, which was never in doubt because God had promised it to him. David needed to be reminded that his security wasn't in his ingenious plans as to how to needle out what was in Saul's heart. His security was in God's promise. The Lord will cut off every one of your enemies from the face of the earth. And so often we too need God's promises poured like oil into our lives. You know, life can be hard in this valley of tears. Trying, distressing circumstances can press down upon us. And we, just like David, need to hear the assurance that Jesus has promised us of victory. And that defeats in this life are not our ultimate destination. We need to hear the Lord saying to us, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And to seal these truths to David's heart and to secure David's covenant love for him and his descendants forever. Jonathan covenants with David's house once again in verse 16, and he makes David swear the covenant. He makes David pledge covenant to Jonathan. And it's worth noting just how countercultural all of this is. You know, a new king normally eradicated all the descendants of the old king because they would be a threat and they might rise up against him. But here David covenants love towards Jonathan and his descendants. And so the security of David and now of Jonathan depends on this renewed covenant pledge 
David pleaded the covenant at the start of this chapter. And now he has pledged it anew to Jonathan. And again, just consider the faith of Jonathan. Now, the covenant isn't made with David as an individual. Verse 16, the covenant is made with the house of David. And and again, that's pretty preposterous. You know, David has no house. He's, He's on the run from his own home. He has nothing. And where is his family going to come from? He's run away from his wife. Where is this house of David going to spring from? And so even in the very terms of the covenant, Jonathan is saying to David, look beyond your circumstances, trust in God's promises, know David that you will have a house. And so I am covenanting with your house. What an encouragement Jonathan is to David as they pledge covenant together. So we've seen the covenant being pleaded, the covenant pledged, and more briefly now, the covenant cost, verses 18 to 34. Jonathan tells David how he's going to act. He will be with Saul, David will be missed, and Jonathan will find out Saul's intention. And then he explains to David how he's going to let him know what Saul's intention is. David will have to hide in a field, Jonathan will shoot arrows and his servant will collect them. And if Jonathan shouts out, the arrows are beside you, all is well with David. If he shouts out, the arrows are beyond you, David has to flee. And a lot of ink has been spilt on why there's this complex plan in the chapter. I think it's relatively simple. Jonathan doesn't know whether he will have the freedom to explain things to David verbally. There may be others around him. Who knows? And so there is this message, this system that he can get the message across to David. And the plan now unfolds. David hides away. Jonathan goes to feast with Saul the first day. David isn't there. He thinks nothing of it. There may be good reasons. But the second day, Saul says, Jonathan, where, where is David? And Jonathan answers as planned. David is at the feast with his family. And then Saul erupts. He accuses Jonathan of treason and of choosing David over his own rightful position as the heir of the throne. But of course, Jonathan isn't choosing David. He's acknowledging God's choice of David. And Saul then challenges Jonathan. Verse 31, send and bring him to me. Then he shall surely die. Jonathan, show you're faithful to your father. Show that you are a son of Saul. Bring me David, that he may die. And then Jonathan proves beyond any doubt his covenant faithfulness. He risks his own life for David. You know, Jesus said in Luke, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jonathan here shows that he hates father and even his own life in comparison to his covenant love for David. Jonathan risks all by urging Saul to repent. Why should he be put to death, Saul? What has he done? And that only enrages Saul further. And Saul now tries to kill his own son, Jonathan. 
Saul, verse 33, hurled his spear at him to strike him. The attempt failed, but Jonathan knew that Saul now would not rest content while David lived. And so Jonathan rises in anger from the table. And so David's empty seat at Saul's table is joined by Jonathan's empty seat. The anger, the sin of Saul is getting him nothing. But those who truly love him are being forced away. So, Jonathan experiences covenant cost. Even the cost of losing his own father and risking his own life to be faithful. Truly, he's like Moses who considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Jonathan endures the cost of the covenant, even to the loss of his own life, because he wasn't concerned about himself, but he was looking to eternity. So there's been covenant pleading, there's been covenant pledging, there's been covenant cost. Finally, covenant peace, verses 35 to 42. Having seen his father erupt, Jonathan now goes on with a plan. He takes his young servant. He goes out to shoot his arrows. And David is hiding in the field behind a heap of stones. And he hears the fateful words, verse 37. Is not the arrow behind you? And as he hears these words, David knows that the king is seeking his life. The king will go on seeking his life. And so David now only has the prospect of being an exile, a fugitive, for as long as Saul is on the throne. But wonderfully, at the end of this chapter, after the shooting of the arrows has been gone through, uh, an opportunity opens up for David and Jonathan to see one another. Jonathan sends his young servant back to the city and there's no one else around. There's a chance for David to come out of hiding and commune once again with Jonathan before he goes off into exile. That might not have been possible, but in God's providence, the field is clear and the two can talk. And there's few more moving scenes in all of scripture than what we have at the end of chapter 20. Two friends who love each other as brothers. Two men united by zeal for the Lord of hosts. Two men who, as far as they know, may never see one another again in this life. And as, as David sees the man he loves as a brother, he bows down out of respect. And then the two men embrace one another. They kiss as men did in the Middle East and you can tell that David and Jonathan are not English or Scottish by how they behave. They, they kiss and then they weep bitterly over the situation they are in. And interestingly, we're told David weeps the most as well he might. He is losing his best friend in this life. He's losing his wife, his home, his everything as he goes on the run for his own very life. But then Jonathan speaks. 
as David is weeping. Jonathan says, verse 42, and they're very strange words in the context. Go in peace. Shalom. As, as David is here weeping his heart out, as David is fleeing from everything he has ever known, how, how can David have and know shalom? And the answer again is covenant. In all the uncertainty of life, in all the trial, in all he is about to now endure, David can know shalom because he's embraced in covenant. What will anchor David is covenant promise. And so Jonathan says, go in peace, shalom, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. The sworn covenant. The covenant that assures David that God is going to give to him the kingdom. And that David's house, his dynasty, will be established and will show covenant love to Jonathan's descendants. And so David can know peace because of covenant. Through all the troubles that are ahead of him, through all that he will endure, he can know that God will preserve him. David can have a deep inner peace. Because he is embraced in covenant promise, which will stand sure. Despite the weeping, despite the trial, David can have peace because of covenant oaths. And that is ultimately the great message of this chapter for you and I. We have many tears in this life, but we have great peace despite it all. Because we are in a unbreakable covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our anchor. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. All our sins are covered in his blood. All the attacks of the evil one against us will never, never succeed because no one can snatch us from the grip of Jesus Christ. He will take us safely to glory forever to be with him. His kingdom will be our dwelling place. And so you and I can know, whatever our experience, a greater shalom, a greater peace than David had here. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has pledged to us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Well, at the end of this chapter, rich with covenant, David rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And I don't know what is ahead of us this week. For some of us, we may rise and go to the city and have peace and prosperity there. Others may have what David had, uncertainty, grief. But whatever is before us, We have covenant security in Christ. And underneath everything, we have peace that our Savior has given us. Amen.